Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Before we get started with today's show, I want to tell you guys about betonline.ag. It's that time of year, March Madness. Whether your team's on the bubble or in the big dance, rooting for Houston or Purdue, Big East or Big 12, BetOnline Sportsbook has you covered with all the props, odds, promos, and parlays for this year's March Madness. Use our promo code BLEAVE50, that's B-L-E-A-V-5-0, to get a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit with the link in the description to this episode. BetOnline, where the game starts. Good afternoon or good night. However, and whenever it is, you may be listening. Thank you for stopping into another fantabulous episode of the Take It Easy podcast live on the Believe Podcast Network, except it isn't live because it is, as always, a podcast. Welcome, 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 everybody. It's a fantabulous March 8th, according to my count. It may not be that according to your count, but we appreciate you stopping in however and whenever it is that you may be listening We have got a fun, fun show coming at you today because all of the NFL quarterback news got sorted out in a matter of 24 hours. And so all of it is sitting in front of us for our discretion here today. We've got four different quarterbacks to talk about. The tagging day passed by. Tag your it, tag their it. It's all very convoluted and complicated, and the NFL has now turned it into another trade deadline day. So all of the transactions happen all at once, and then we can break down everything that happened and lost in the shuffle is that Saquon Barkley got totally screwed out of a potential long-term contract. So congratulations to everyone who got tagged or not tagged or is going to head to free agency or whatever the case may be going into the following season. It seems like teams are less inclined to use the the franchise tag. Now, I remember during the pandemic year, it was like 14 teams ended up using the franchise tag and some teams use it just to then move on from a player the next year like Jesse Bates or Mike Gusecki. It's just kind of interesting how it works out, but the franchise tag ended up only going to a handful of players, most of them quarterbacks. Some worked out long-term extensions instead of getting the franchise tag. So we'll talk about all of those here on today's show. We've got four topics to break down. And what's perfect about these contracts, franchise tag, whatever situations, is that there's a perfect pattern with which to dissect all of the news that has come in through the National Football League. And it's one, two, three, four. What's one, two, three, four? We've got, in essence, when you look at the details of the contract, because before coming onto this podcast, I pulled up the most prevalent details of everyone's contracts and looked at 
how there were guaranteed money balanced out over the length of the contracts and what the most probable situation is for all of these contracts. And what's fitting is that of the four major moves that we saw on deadline day in the NFL, there is a one, two, three, and a four. A one-year contract, in essence, a two-year contract, in essence, a three-year contract, in essence, and a four-year contract, in essence, that came in all at once on this deadline day, or I guess tag your it day. But basically, each of the four contracts are different in length, different in structure, and different in the team and the quarterback with which are beginning or extending their partnerships. So we've got four quarterbacks to break down today, four contracts, and what is a one-year contract, a two-year contract, a three-year contract, and a four-year contract. And maybe contract isn't the best word to describe it because their contracts are signed for longer terms. It's more so the commitment because if you're new to this NFL space, we know that contract length and dollars are pretty much a facade. They're structured in a way where the dollars are not guaranteed to the players. It's hard for players to renegotiate contracts. Meanwhile, it's very easy for the teams to get out of bad contracts. They put in the salary cap and they put in these non-guaranteed contracts as a means to protect owners and general managers from making poor decisions around their finances. And because the NFL has leverage over their labor, they're able to institute more unilateral wage-suppressing policies in collective bargaining because they have more leverage as compared to the players' union. So even though there were three-year $105 million contracts or four-year $160 million contracts signed across the board, in essence, we have a one-year contract, or sorry, a one-year commitment, a two-year commitment, a three-year commitment, and a four-year commitment on these contracts. So let's start off with the one-year commitment. That is Geno Smith and the Seattle Seahawks. They committed to each other for one season. After that, we'll evaluate next year. In essence, it is a one-year contract for Geno Smith. Because Geno Smith signed a three-year, $75 million deal, there's a lot more incentives if he plays certain amounts of games, if he throws certain numbers of touchdowns. We don't have all the data available to us in the contract as of the time of recording. And in essence, we are looking at a contract for Geno Smith that essentially guarantees him one year as the Seattle Seahawks starting quarterback, which doesn't necessarily mean he plays the full year as the starting quarterback. If they draft a rookie and that rookie is ready to take over and Geno's performance is not meeting up the standards of the year before, they can very easily make that switch. If he doesn't play like 2020 Russell Wilson... Geno Smith, they can make that switch easy. And the reason it's a one-year commitment is because Geno Smith got a three-year, $75 million contract. Each of the three years has a base salary of $25 million. All of the first year is guaranteed. That means $25 million guaranteed at signing for Geno Smith. That means at the end of 2024, there will be somewhere between 10 and $15 million of guarantees left over. So that means Geno Smith still has $50 million on the contract and between 10 and $15 million in guarantees. Well, when does that money get guaranteed? 
We don't have the details yet. However, if you know most of the sci- or most of the data behind these quarterback contracts, it is whether or not Geno Smith is on the roster by a certain date. When it was Derek Carr, it was the day after the Super Bowl. For a lot of players, it's the opening of free agency on March. This year, it's 15th, but in other years, it's the 17th or the 16th. Geno Smith is probably, and we don't have the data to confirm this, but probably going to have a roster bonus that guarantees some of his money on March of 2024, which for the Seahawks means they'll have to pay $15 million to move off of him, but they potentially save $35 million over two seasons by moving off of Geno Smith after 2023. So the Seattle Seahawks have committed to one season of Geno Smith as their quarterback. After that, they can choose to continue with Geno Smith, guarantee some more money, and all of a sudden Geno Smith is their quarterback for 2024. All Seattle has done with their three-year contract is gone one year of full commitment to Geno Smith. They will not be able to get out of Geno Smith's contract until after next season. Which leads me to believe Seattle is going to draft a quarterback. Because Seattle does not plan to have a higher draft pick over the next three years than they will this season. They don't have any more Denver draft picks available to them. They were a playoff team the previous year. All these draft picks that they had in 2022 have hit, and so they're on young. They're young players on rookie contracts who are outperforming where their draft position was when we talk about Tariq Woolen being a defensive rookie of the year finalist as a fifth rounder. We talk about uh, Kenneth Walker being a second round pick and him being amazing. Kobe Bryant as a fourth round pick being an awesome corner. Even their first round pick, Charles Cross, as a left tackle has been excellent. Abraham Lucas, who is their third round pick, was their starting right tackle and performed well enough last year. So Seattle at this point... I can only assume is going to draft a quarterback. Which quarterback? Not sure which quarterback, but they're going to draft a quarterback with the presumption that Geno is their quarterback next year, and potentially they'll make the switch midseason to the rookie quarterback. I can only presume that if Seattle is ever going to take a rookie, they're going to take him with the they're going to take him with the fifth pick this year, and that quarterback is going to be the one that they build with towards the future and. Maybe I'm wrong that they opt for a different direction and choose to draft an edge rusher or draft an offensive lineman like we talked about last week in our mock draft 1.0 with Blake Jude. The Geno Smith contract is exactly the contract I thought they would give him back in the season last year, which was a three-year contract that they can get out of after one season. And that seems to be basically what Geno Smith signed is a three-year contract they can get out of after one season because they're bridging Geno Smith to the future. And it's better than doing the franchise tag with Geno Smith because the franchise tag would make it more of a problematic distraction or whatever else you want to talk about. So this contract made perfect sense. Geno got three years. He gets about $40 million guaranteed, 25 of which is already guaranteed at signing because he's going to be the quarterback for next year. And he gets a one, year to, one more year to continue being the Seahawks quarterback as they bridge to the next guy 
which I presume will be taken in the draft. It's helpful for Seattle that they already had an in-house option instead of like the Bears signing Andy Dalton and then drafting uh, Justin Fields or the, the Pittsburgh Steelers signing Mitchell Trubisky and then going out and drafting Kenny Pickett. Last two years, teams have done this strategy, and I think Seattle's doing the same thing, if I'm reading the room correctly. And the thing is, they don't even have to worry about hiding it, because they're guaranteed to get one of the top three guys. Between Bryce Young, CJ Stroud, I guess Anthony Richardson now is kind of in that group. They're guaranteed to get one of those three quarterbacks with the fifth pick in the draft. So it's a good position for Seattle to be in. They gave Geno Smith a three-year contract that's actually a one-year contract. And if they don't pick a quarterback and Geno plays well next year, they just might guarantee him a second year. So it's basically a three-year contract that they can get out of after every season. Because I'm going to guess that after the second year is done, there's no guarantees left on the contract for Geno. Considering that like 60% of his guaranteed money is going to be paid out in the first year. So they gave him a one-year contract and then maybe a two-year contract and then maybe a three-year contract. But I'm going to guess probably just a one-year commitment for Geno Smith because they're going to probably draft a rookie with the number five pick in the draft. Say probably. These are the most probable outcomes. Maybe Seattle chooses two years of Geno Smith. It's not like he's a long-term quarterback option. I don't even think Geno believes that. He just got his big payday to be a bridge-watering quarterback. And so congratulations, Geno Smith. You went from a career backup to a bridge-watering quarterback. And you should be incredibly happy about that because some team paid you to be a bridge-watering quarterback. I congratulate you and commend you on your efforts, good Geno Smith. Now we move to the two-year contract, which on paper is a four-year contract, In practice is a two-year contract. Derek Carr and the New Orleans Saints. The New Orleans Saints have committed two seasons to Derek Carr. And this one's easy to evaluate because we have all of the contract data available for Derek Carr. So his cap hit in 2023 is only $7 million, which is good for the Saints because the Saints are still in salary cap hell, which doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but they are. The Saints have $7 million against the cap committed to Derek Carr next season. They're not paying him a lot of guarantees on his contract. In fact, most of Derek Carr's guarantees come in the second season. The second season is when Derek Carr's base salary jumps from $1.5 million to $30 million, which means the Saints are going to pay all of his guaranteed money in the second year. Why are they going to do that? So that the Saints can sign Derek Carr in the first place in year one and then give him all the guaranteed money in the second year of the contract so that they can get out of it after the third year of the contract. The third year of Derek Carr's contract, he has a, a, um, a cap hit of $45 million if he is on the roster in March of 2025. Is Derek Carr going to be on the roster fully guaranteed on March of 2025? Hell no, Derek Carr's not going to be on the ra- on the Saints in 2025 because the Saints aren't paying $46 million for Derek Carr. Even if Derek Carr plays better than his average, which 
I love this statistic so much that Derek Carr's nine-year career averages are exactly the same as the NFL averages since 2019. Completion percentage, 64.2 is the league average. Derek Carr's 64.1. Passing yards per game, the league average is 270, 247. Derek Carr's 248. Passer rating, league average is 91. Derek Carr's is 91. He's literally the most average quarterback in the NFL. Hell no, the Saints are not paying $45 million for Derek Carr in year two when the Saints can get out of the contract by cutting him and save $28 million. If they cut him after June 1st, they will save $40 million. The Saints are two years committed to Derek Carr because they are not paying for an extra $40 million in year five, in year three of that deal, because I genuinely don't think a 33-year-old Derek Carr could possibly play well enough for them to commit $40 million for two years in a row to Derek Carr. I simply don't believe it's possible because he would have to play Dak Prescott or Joe Burrow levels of good to make it worth it to the Saints. When you can save $40 million by not paying Derek Carr... I I genuinely don't think there's a scenario where Derek Carr could play well enough to make that contract worth it. Geno Smith, at a similar age, made a Pro Bowl with 30 touchdowns, 11 interceptions, and the most passing yards in Seattle Seahawks franchise history. And even he was not good enough for multiple years of $45 million. So I genuinely don't think there's anything Derek Carr can do to be worth that amount of money at the end of everything there. So I think that this is a two-year deal. It seems pretty clear that they are committed to two years of Derek Carr. They have a poison pill in the second year if things go atrociously bad in the first. They would have to eat a lot of money in a trade, but ultimately someone else, if someone else thinks they can fix Derek Carr next year, they might make the trade. So congratulations, Saints. You're trying to squeeze the last couple of drops out of Derek Carr, who's now been an NFL starter for nine seasons, and I don't think he's going to be an NFL starter for longer than two more. And the Saints are prepared for that. They are taking him for two seasons, and then they will get out of that contract take a minimal cap hit, save $40 million, spread it out over two years, and do whatever kind of voodoo salary cap magic the Saints do with their contracts. So for Derek Carr, it's basically a two-year contract. And the Saints are committed to two years of Derek Carr, which is kind of like, I mean, we could have done a whole lot worse. We don't have a draft pick this year, and we don't expect to be bad enough to get a draft pick next year. So for the Saints, it's kind of like you could have done a whole lot worse. And, and people are bringing up the fact that like the NFC South quarterbacks right now are Desmond Ritter, Kyle Trask, and Sam Darnold slash PJ Walker. While that's obviously going to change over the next couple of weeks, I think it's fair to point out that the Saints look at they can win the NFC South. And that might be the only aspirational goal that they have. Because look, winning the NFC South would be the crowning achievement of Derek Carr's career. 
And I know that's kind of sad to think about. And like, it sounds funny to say out loud that winning an NFC South title would be the crowning achievement of Derek Carr's career. If you think back, Derek Carr with the Raiders started out 0-10 as the starting quarterback, won the job in his third year, played kind of like an MVP. I mean, he was top five in certain metrics, and I think finished sixth in the MVP before breaking his leg in week 14 of that season. The Raiders went on to make the playoffs as a wild card. They lost to, it was I think, the Brian Hoyer Texans. But remember, Connor Cook started that playoff game. Derek Carr did not start that playoff game for the Raiders. The year his the best season of his career, which was his third season and the year that got him the five year hundred and fifty million dollar contract from the Raiders. That season, he didn't make it to the playoffs. And even if you want to say that was the best year of Derek Carr's career, fundamentally it was a very good season for Derek Carr and worthy of giving him a long-term contract. And so the Raiders then tore down the roster. Derek Carr played very poorly in the year that they were tanking because Derek Carr was not good enough to elevate the team around him, but he was also good enough to not drive it off a cliff when the Raiders were good. And then you got to 2021 and they made the playoffs despite the fact Derek Carr did not play one of the better years of his career. And that was Derek Carr's first playoff game. So Derek Carr getting to host a playoff game with the New Orleans Saints as a four seed with a 9-8 and eight record would be the crowning achievement of Derek Carr's career. And for the Saints, I think it's just the best they could do given the circumstances. They went all in on building around that Drew Brees team. Drew Brees, Sean Payton are gone. They now have a first-round pick from the Broncos, but they don't have their own top 10 pick from being a bottom 10 team in the league this last year. And fundamentally, the Saints are looking at this like, we have an aging roster, a lot of these contracts we gave are bad, and we knew they were going to be bad, but we went all in on 2019 and 2020, and they're still dealing with the ramifications because instead of doing a hard reset, they continue to try and do quick fix, quick fix, quick fix even if that quick fix is trading up to draft Chris Olave or trading a future first round pick for Trevor Penning, like the Saints have fundamentally said, we're not going to tear this thing to the ground. We're not going to reset our books. We're not going to take massive dead cap hits. We're just going to keep trying it with the group that we have and see if we can rebuild this plane on the fly. And winning the NFC South would represent a massive success for the Saints given where they were two years ago, which was 2021, the year that they almost made the playoffs, the last year of Sean Payton, the Jameis Winston tears his ACL, and now they have Taysom Hill and Trevor Semyon as their quarterback. Like just two years ago to where they are now, winning the NFC South would represent a massive success for the Saints. We just evaluate this stuff in terms of winning championships all the time that I think we don't realize that not everyone's playing for a championship. The Saints are not playing to win a championship. The Saints' aspirational goals by giving Derek Carr a two-year contract is we have a roster that can win the NFC South. And if we win the NFC South, perhaps we can build towards something new after the fact. Because the Saints continuously have said, we're not tearing this to the ground. We're not tearing it. We're not going to do it. They quick fix of sign Terran Matthew, quick fix of sign uh, Demario Davis to an extension, restructure a bunch of contracts, 
um, get the young players in the door now. Uh, Chris Olave, Trevor Penning, trade up to get Olave, trade a future first to get Trevor Penning. Like, get the young players in the door now so that we know who the core of our team is going forward. And those short term sacrifices are going to be good enough to potentially win the NFC South. And if the Saints do win the NFC South, I think that's an aspirational goal for them given where they are right now. Because if they want to win a championship, they're going to have to make fundamental changes to their team. And I don't think the Saints are ready to just abandon everything that they built. Getting close to a championship with Drew Brees and Sean Payton. Now you're trying to do it with Dennis Allen and insert rookie quarterback here. So I think that it is an aspirational goal to try and win the NFC South. I think it misses the bigger picture, but I also recognize there's not really anything the Saints can do to be championship level good. And not everyone is trying to win a championship every single year. The Seahawks are not trying to win a championship by extending Geno Smith. They are mapping out a long-term sustainable plan. And the Saints may not have a long-term sustainable plan right now, but in the short term, they're saying we can commit two years and we can win the NFC South. And if they win the NFC South, like I said earlier, Derek Carr has been in the NFL for nine seasons. And just winning an NFC South title would be the crowning achievement of Derek Carr's career. So if you're the Saints, it might be a perfect match. An organization whose aspirational goals are just to win the NFC South. And for Derek Carr, the aspirational goal of winning a division title. And over the next two years... The two teams just might get that goal. And you know what? Maybe they'll band together and win a wild card game. Who knows? It's hard enough to get to the playoffs in the NFL in the first place. Might be cool to watch them win a division title while the iron is hot. Let's talk about the three-year deal. And for that, New York, New York is where we're going to travel. Let's play the stupid New York, New York song, even though I'm going to mock this contract a lot with Daniel Jones. Start spreading the news. I'm leaving today I want to be a part of it New York, New York These vagabond shoes Are longing to stray Right through the very heart of it New York L-O-L, 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 I said this a couple years ago, I think it's safe to say it again, even though they won a playoff game, which I think takes you out of the category of being a perpetually mediocre organization. At the same time, let me once again be the first to welcome the New York Giants to a decade 
of mediocrity. Another decade of mediocrity. Because before last year, the New York Giants had not won a playoff game in 10 years. They had played in a total of one playoff game in the last 10 years. I think it's safe to say that we're beginning another decade of mediocrity for the New York Giants. The good news is it's not going to be as mediocre as the Miami Dolphins have been the last 20 years. It's not going to be as mediocre as the the Raiders have been the last 20 years. It's going to be pretty fucking mediocre (laughs) because they just gave Daniel Jones a three-year commitment. And I said this last year, I said it in the offseason, I said it again with our friend Juju Talk Sports over the weekend before Daniel Jones got a three-year commitment from the Giants. Brian Dayball did not take that job to commit long-term to Daniel Jones. And if Brian Dayball did take that job to commit long-term to Daniel Jones... Man, you should have waited for a better job. You were the quarterback whisperer who fixed Josh Allen. You should have waited for a better job, Brian Dayball. Congratulations. You're one big shot as a head coach coming off a coach of the year season where you fixed Daniel Jones. And by fixed, I mean Daniel Jones had a very good season and a playoff game of his life against a terrible Vikings defense that was immediately wiped from my memory by him just looking absolutely futile against the Philadelphia Eagles. Congratulations, Brian Dayball. You should have waited for a better job. The Dolphins wanted to interview you, and you chose the Giants' job last year. The Cardinals' job was open this year with Kyler Murray. Nope, we're good. Carolina came open this year, and look, Carolina is a pretty mediocre franchise. I'm not going to lie. You know who else is perpetually mediocre? The New York Giants. Congratulations to Brian Dayball. You should have waited for a better job and rode it out with Josh Allen. Cause man, you did. Who wants to commit long term to Daniel Jones? Seriously. And by the way, no one else was gonna pay him. Nobody, nobody was gonna pay him. Giants, you absolutely screwed yourself. And look, part of the conversation for the Giants might be, we wanted to get this deal done because it's only $82 million guaranteed over three years, and we wanted to make sure Saquon Barkley couldn't leave in free agency. I totally understand that. If they believe that this thing doesn't work without Daniel Jones and Saquon Barkley, then they needed to get both of those players done. And they didn't want to give Saquon Barkley a long-term contract under any circumstance. Man, you should not be committing long-term to Daniel Jones and Saquon Barkley. Should not. They just lucked their way into a playoff game this year because they won a lot of one-possession games despite having a negative point differential. Do not commit long-term to Daniel Jones and Saquon Barkley. And if you're going to commit long-term to that, don't commit long-term to Daniel fucking Jones. (laughs) Don't commit long-term to Daniel Jones 
82 million fully guaranteed. They're paying him twice as much money as Geno Smith. And look, the Seahawks might decide they want to keep Geno Smith after a second year. And we might or after the first year. And we might learn cuz not all the details are available on the Dar- on the Daniel Jones contract. We might learn that Daniel Jones's commitment is only for two seasons and that all the guaranteed money is in the first couple years. The only explanation I can find behind this is that the Mara family really, really wanted Daniel Jones as their quarterback. That's the explanation I can find because they were bidding at, I mean, maybe the, maybe the guarantees are different, but if it's basically a three-year, $90 million contract, the Maras were bidding at about, if Geno Smith's getting $75 million, like the Maras were, betting, were bidding about... million total more than the rest of the league. And if they were bidding at that level, 40 million more than anyone else, you had the leverage. No one was going to pay him more than what the Seahawks paid for Geno Smith, which is basically a one year, $25 million contract with incentives going forward. And if, if you're someone listening, who's like, no, someone would have paid him. Name me the team. Was it going to be Carolina? Was Carolina going to give Daniel Jones $160 million? Like, there was no team that was going to give Daniel Jones this amount of money. They were going to franchise tag him. Daniel Jones was going to have to play on the franchise tag. They would have regressed next season in terms of record. Regardless of whether their offensive performance was similar or not similar, they were going to regress in terms of record because they went like 7-1 and one in one-possession games. And they had bullshit wins against Baltimore, and I'm forgetting who the other one was now, but they had like just crazy bullshit victories. Oh, the Packers. Packers blew a 20-point lead in the second half in London. Packers totally should have won that football game against the Giants. And by the way, that game would have put the Packers in the playoff and maybe taken the Giants out of the playoff. But basically, like, the Giants won a bunch of bullshit games, and Daniel Jones played fine, and the Mara family bid $40 million more than anyone else was going to pay for Daniel Jones. And regardless of what you think Daniel Jones is worth or not worth, they just bid against themselves. And it was an incredibly stupid thing to do. Like, this is an incredibly stupid decision by the Giants to commit long-term to Daniel Jones. Brian Dayball, you should have waited for a better deal. Because this one's not going to turn out well. Regardless of whether you think Daniel Jones is going to be able to replicate the numbers that he put up last year. Because Daniel Jones was an above-average quarterback last season. The difference between Daniel Jones and, for example, Kyler Murray is... Kyler Murray was an above-average to great quarterback two seasons and a bad quarterback for one. Daniel Jones was a bad quarterback for three seasons and an above-average one for one. And if you think he can replicate above-average numbers again, because I don't think it's going to happen, even if you think he is, the Giants are not going to win 11 games next season. Because you just you just can't replicate the one possession wins the way that they have with the roster they have currently constructed. And while the Giants have a bunch of money in free agency, which I do believe is true, I'm not a hundred. I mean, a lot of it was that they were committing this money to Daniel Jones and Saquon Barkley, and they're gonna have. Uh, yeah, they've got thirty six million dollars next year, and. The the Jones contract will factor in about seventeen million, so they've got like thirty million. They can spend a bunch of money on players, and maybe they do what the Eagles did, and they have a 
a draft pick this year in the middle of the first round. Maybe they draft a receiver. Maybe they uh, sign a corner or something like that. Like, whatever they end up choosing to do, the New York Giants are going to have to substantially increase the talent around them in order to replicate even last season's performance. Because last year they were remarkably lucky in getting to the record that they were. And remarkably lucky that they played the Vikings in the first playoff game. So the New York Giants at this stage of the game, they they are going to finish with a worse record. And I think that's going to upset the Mara family a little bit if on the first year of Daniel Jones and Saquon Barkley being committed long-term, because I think it's still in the realm of possibility Saquon gets a long-term extension. If they miss the playoffs next year, which I think is a very real possibility, or if they get bounced in the uh, wild card, if they get bounced in the wild card round, they might view it as a victory. Like, if you're committing that long-term money to those guys for three years and the first year ends up missing the playoffs, man, that is going to be, from an ownership standpoint, that's going to be a tough pill to swallow. And that's how the Broncos are right now. They are committed three years to Russell Wilson, and the first year was an absolute dumpster fire. And if the New York, even if it's not a dumpster fire, even if the New York Giants go eight and nine next season, which would be their average in one possession games last year, even if the Giants go eight and nine, they are going to be a disappointment in the eyes of the ownership. And you just committed three years to Daniel Jones. So if you committed three years to Daniel Jones without an out after, without a poison pill out after year two, which could still be the case because we don't have the contract details yet man, that's going to be a tough pill to swallow. And I don't do wins and losses when it comes to the evaluation process, but because I don't, but the reason the Giants are paying Daniel Jones 40 million more than anyone else is because they won games. So the Giants aren't doing the evaluation process correct. And it's so funny to watch it happen in real time because like Daniel Jones is not worth a three-year commitment. And the Giants essentially just made a three-year commitment with a four-year contract to Daniel Jones because the Maras just want to believe that Daniel Jones is going to make these strides with the coach in place, with the offensive line in place, with Saquon Barkley back healthy. They just want to believe in that dude and it just doesn't make sense. It just doesn't make sense because nobody else was going to get in the game. Nobody else believes except you and the reason the Maras believe is because they believe in this stuff all the fucking time. Ben McAdoo tried to bench Eli Manning for Geno Smith and got ran out of town. They could have drafted Josh Allen. They took Saquon Barkley instead. And then the next year, they took Daniel Jones. When, again, remember, Dave Gettleman picked him with the sixth pick and nobody was going to pick him in the top 15. They had a pick at 17 and they were like, he'll he'll fall to 17. And the Giants said, nah, we got to make sure we get him at six. Nobody was going to do it. Nobody was going to do it. And Daniel Jones played like crap for three seasons with obviously circumstances permitting two Saquon Barkley injuries, a bad offensive line, Dave Gettleman, like all that stuff. And the first year they have an incredible outperforming of expectations that is not unexplainable. Like we can explain why the Giants outperformed expectations. It, it like the the data is clear about how they outperformed expectations and the eye test works too the the Baltimore game they were down 20 to 10 with 5 minutes to go and they won cuz the Ravens fumbled and threw an interception the Ravens gave them a victory the Packers were up 20 points in the third quarter against the Giants and they gave the game back like we can explain 
why the Giants were as good as they were this year. We could explain how the New York Giants got to a 14th ranked offense or 12th ranked offense in the NFL. It's all explainable. It's not like, oh, this was a shocking, you know, the Giants just made this miraculous leap from fourth to 11, to four wins to 11 wins. And we just don't know how it happened. We know, like with Geno Smith, no one can explain how it happened. With the Giants, we can explain how it happened. (laughs) The data is clear. We could explain why the Giants were the team that they were last year. and And the ownership group is using wins and losses as the evaluation process. It's just so ridiculous. It's so ridiculous that they made this decision. And it's just really funny. It's really funny that they made that call because, again, the Giants are so perpetually mediocre. There are three NFL teams that years ago we made fun of all the time because they had a heightened expectation for what their team was. The Bears, the Giants, and the Broncos. Those were the most fun teams to to, to laugh at. And the Giants did it to themselves again. The Broncos did it to themselves again. Because now they're stuck in... G- like, the thing that happened with Daniel Jones. Daniel Jones went from Mitchell Trubisky bridge quarterback, who they knew was there on a one-year bridge contract. They went from bridge contract because they declined his fifth-year option. They went from bridge quarterback to... Or, no, they accepted his fifth-year option. I'm trying to remember. Did they? Daniel Jones was 2019. So, 2019, 2020, 2021. No, they declined his fifth-year option. They declined his fifth-year option and played themselves into giving him a long-term extension. Because if they had franchise-tagged him this year, they would have had to pay him $20 million more than they would have if they hadn't declined the fr- the fifth-year option back in 2021. They played themselves so fucking hard. The Giants played themselves into being in Daniel Jones' purgatory for no, for I've not found a good reason for why. <laughs> Does the fan base really love Daniel Jones? Does the, the do the statistics merit Daniel Jones getting? No, there's literally nothing. The market would have said Daniel Jones. No one would, the, the Giants bid forty million dollars over what anyone was going to pay Daniel Jones, and for what? For what did they do that? It's because the Mara family believes in Daniel fucking Jones. They believed in him when they took him in 2019. He was the heir apparent to Eli Manning. It makes no sense at all. And they did it. And it's so funny. And again, Brian Dayball, you should have held out for a better job. You should have done it. Because now you just committed your long-term future to Daniel fucking Jones. <laughs> Spreading the news I'm leaving today I want to be a part of it New York, New York These vagabond shoes Are longing to stray Right through the very heart of it New York, New York. All right.
right, so let's talk about the four-year commitment real quick. And the four-year commitment is Lamar Jackson. And I purposely put this at the end because there's not a whole lot of concrete details. Like, basically, the Ravens gave him a franchise tag that will allow him to negotiate a long-term deal elsewhere. And by the time most of you are listening to this, he might be on a different team or he might have an extension with Baltimore. For the most part, this Lamar Jackson situation is super volatile and super interesting. And I just want to make the joke real quick that like we're going to let Bill Belichick get him. That's how this whole thing's going to end, is with Bill Belichick securing Lamar Jackson. What's interesting about this Lamar Jackson situation is just that I can't believe that we can even conceive of a situation where he's going to leave Baltimore just seems so wild and there's not really anything new to say to it like everyone's coming to the defenses of Lamar players media pundits everyone's coming to the defense of Lamar Jackson because of how special of a player he is and Bill Barnwell did a really interesting piece about how the Lamar Jackson contract is set up in such a way that or sorry the Lamar Jackson franchise tag is set up in such a way that if he gets signed by another team, they will give up two first-round picks to acquire him. The more likely scenario is that they enter a sign-and-trade situation so that teams can compensate Jackson or compensate the Ravens with more than two first-round picks as an incentive for Baltimore to not match. And I can't even predict what the most probable outcome is in this situation because I just don't know what the most probable situation is here. It doesn't seem like there is a probable situation at the moment because there's no team that's an outright favorite to land him. There's no spot that feels like a match perfectly made in heaven for Lamar Jackson. There's all sorts of talk about colluding and teams being immediately out on Lamar Jackson. And there's just so much volatility that I don't think the resolution has even been concocted yet. Like, I don't even think that they're evaluating long-term options because I just can't conceive of a situation where he doesn't end up on Baltimore. And so that's just a situation where I look up and I'm like, wow, okay, we don't, we have no idea what's going to happen. We just got a result that we weren't expecting today, which is Baltimore is not going to franchise tag him. They're going to let him go into restricted free agency. And that's basically what this is. Like when you talk about giving up two first round picks or more in compensation, being able to work out a sign and trade with another team, Lamar Jackson's basically entering the NBA construct of restricted free agency. And that's basically what's happening right now. That The Ravens have the option to match. And if they don't match, they will get trade compensation in exchange for Lamar. This is basically a mutated form of NBA restricted free agency. And it's super interesting that Lamar Jackson's about to go into restricted free agency because we've never seen a star quarterback go into restricted free agency. Like Kirk Cousins did it with the Vikings and the Vikings are still paying for that. But we've never really seen anything quite like a restricted free agency period. And that's what we're about to get from the Baltimore Ravens Lamar Jackson saga. And I just think that's super, super interesting. Like it's super, super duper interesting that we're about to enter an unprecedented territory where we don't know how it's going to go because we've never seen a restricted free agent MVP quarterback. The closest precedent is like Devontae Adams last year, 
Devontae Adams had a clear-cut team that was interested in his services, and it was worth it because Devontae Adams last year made All-Pro, the only player in the NFL to make All-Pro two years in a row, and he did it with two different quarterbacks and two different teams. One that was the 13-3 and Packers and one that was the 6-11 and Raiders. So, like, Devontae Adams was definitely worth it, and there was a team that was outright there for him. I don't see that team right now for Lamar Jackson. I'm sure it's going to emerge in the coming days, and it's why I don't want to talk too deeply about this story, but I just don't even see the team. And so, it's so unprecedented and so interesting, and I just can't wait to see what ends up happening within these stupid, stupid, stupid constructs that are... NFL contracts and NFL collective bargaining. Just so stupid, so anti-labor, and it just gets me excited because the structures and systems are designed the way they are. Collective bargaining has passed for the next eight years, and so Lamar Jackson has to go to restricted free agency. While the New York Giants gave Daniel Jones $40 million more than the next closest team was going to give him. But I bet you whichever team gets Lamar Jackson is going to have a better record than the Giants next year even if that team is the Houston Texans. Well, no, if it's the Houston Texans, maybe not. As long as the organization is not worse run than the Mara family's Giants. So, as long as Lamar goes to one of, like, ten teams that I can think of off the top of my head, uh, the Jets, the Patriots, the Steelers, the Colts, the, God, even the Raiders. It's stupid to say, but God, even the Raiders. The Lions, the Vikings, the Falcons, as gross as that one is to say, the the Saints, <laughs> but they just signed Derek Carr. I'm just listing teams that are better run than the Giants. So as long as he goes to one of those slightly better run than the Giants organizations, they'll be a better team than the New York Giants. Even the Colts, even the stupid Colts with stupid Jim Irsay, who keeps doing weird shit in the last six months, even the Colts, Lamar Jackson would be better off than if he ended up on the Houston Texans or the Daniel Jones, New York Giants. So we'll see what happens with that situation. The other three are locked in stone. One-year deal for Geno, one-year commitment to Geno, two-year commitment to Derek Carr, three-year commitment to Daniel Jones. LOL. Ladies and gentlemen, thanks for stopping in here to the Take It Easy podcast. We've got episodes every single day, Monday through Friday, as well as Wired Up on Sundays occasionally. But the last two weeks we've had a Wired Up, so you can check those out as well. Leave a five-star review, leave a download, buy our new book. It's available now wherever you get books, and we always appreciate you supporting our dreams however and whenever it is that you may be listening and supporting said dreams. Thanks for stopping in, everybody. We'll talk to you again tomorrow. And in the meantime, take it easy. Start spreading the news. I'm leaving today I want to be a part of it New York, New York These vagabond shoes Are longing to stray 
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.